Hello, and welcome to the Path of Most Persistence. This is a place where we hear and share tenacious stories of overcoming obstacles with our partners who dare to share a bit of their own personal paths. Jude Dedrick is the Director of State and Federal Relations for Centerpoint Energy and was elected to the Board of Trustees for the Texas Bar Foundation, taking office on June 1st, 2021. June is native to Palacios, Texas, and a graduate from Palacios High School, a graduate of the University of Texas with a Bachelor of Arts, and she received a Master's of Liberal Arts from the University of St. Thomas. Ms. Dedrick is an alumnus of the Texas Lyceum Association, Leadership Texas, Leadership Houston, and Leadership America. June serves on several organizations and as a board member, including the Miller Outdoor Theater Advisory Board, the Theater Under the Stars, Houston Grand Opera, Texas Exus Board of Directors, UT Chancellor's Executive Committee, Houston Harris County Sports Authority Foundation, UT Health Development Committee, the Longhorn Foundation, Houston Arts Alliance, and the President's Council for the University of St. Thomas, and the Texas Exus Black Alumni Steering Committee. Mrs. Dedrick is also a sustaining member of the Junior League of Houston, a member of the Texas Spring Cypress Chapter of Lynx, and the Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority, and a life member of the Texas Exus. In January of 2018, Ms. Dedrick made history when she became the first African-American woman to chair a postseason collegiate bowl game the Texas Bowl in Houston. June, it is such a joy and an honor to speak with you today. Thank you so very much. Thank you for asking me to do this. Very excited myself. So I appreciate not only your time, I know clearly your time is valuable, but also for hosting us here in Austin. It's lovely to step away from wonderful College Station, of course, but being here in Austin and this lovely view, we really appreciate your time and the space. Thank you, and I kind of feel like you're uh, coming into my second home. I spend a lot of time in Austin. Obviously, this is where I went to undergraduate to college, and fortunately, every other year when the legislature's in session, I get to call Austin home and I get to work in this lovely space. I, I love it. Now, I want to talk about all those things because you have so much going on, but because I just went through a list of obligations, commitments that you have, and, uh, and this, I know, this is very limited. It doesn't include everything, but Jean, how do you how do you do it and why do you do it? Why do you commit to so many volunteer organizations? Reasonable service. I think that your life requires you to give reasonable service back to your community, back to your church, back to your educational institutions. My commitments are to things that I enjoy, but they are also to things that have given to me over the years. The University of Texas gave me a fabulous educational base. University of St. Thomas, Further that, when I went to get my master's degree, working at the state capitol, those folks over there, they gave me encouragement and they gave me opportunities. So you want to make sure that you are giving your reasonable service back to those people who gave to you and those institutions that fostered your growth and helped you become the person that you are. I, I love that. And and just for transparency for the audience, I want to, to make clear that you were um, raised, reared in Palacios, Texas, and of course I was too. We went to the same schools there. Um, we were never on the same campus at the same time. We just missed each other by a year or two. But um, I just want you to know, and I've never made these comments to you, I don't think, you were always uh, someone that I admired and uh, really found such uh, awe. In because even when I was young and didn't even grasp, you, you know, you were still becoming who you are today. You were very young yourself. You were just someone that was always a standout in the way you presented yourself, how you articulated your thoughts, and and more than anything, your kindness, your joy, and your generosity of spirit and just goodwill. It is, was something I recognized when 
we were very young and even to this day, Jean, that's who you are. And so I, I want to acknowledge that to the audience, but I want to make sure that I say that to you because um, I've never, I don't think I've ever said that to you, uh, but it needs to be said. And I want to talk about that. Is that just, is that your personality? Is that your nature? I think that that's, it's not just my nature, but I think it's the nature of a lot of people that we grew up with in Palacios, Texas. I think that small town Texas, small town Texas values, those are the things that shape us at the very beginning. Before we leave Palacios and go to the University of Texas or Texas A&M or any other college or university, it's what happens right there in that small town. And it's those teachers and it's those community members and it's our neighbors and our friends. Those are the people that shape us. And those are the people that want us to bring joy every day. Um, I will talk about your mother who always had a smile who was always welcoming to every kid in the neighborhood, who always encouraged us. But she was not afraid if she thought we were doing something that wasn't quite what our family would want us to do. She was not afraid of pulling you aside and reminding you who you were and whose you were. Because we didn't just represent our family, we represented your family too everybody from Palacios, and I think that that's part of what goes into making you the person that you are. You take those small town values with you wherever you go. When I go meet with members of the legislature, I'm still taking those Palacios, Texas values with me into that state capitol. And that's why folks over there know if I'm coming to them with information, they can trust the information that I'm bringing them. It's all those things that happened to us growing up in Palacios that shape the adults we become. One of the other things I think Palacios does for you is it's a small town. So we were involved in a lot of activities. Idle Hands, the Devil's Workshop. They did not want us to be idle. So there were activities that we were always involved in. And as an adult, that's translated to me. The things that you're interested in, the things that you want to promote, you personally have to get involved in those. You personally have to give with your time, your talent, and your treasure. And that's why, while it looks like a, a lot of organizations and a lot of time, um, I am able to judge my time and to relegate what I need to do. You know, I, I manage my calendar very well. Absolutely. And, you know, going a little bit further into that, it's, you know, something that you said is that we're all representing each other. And I think that goes back to the core of we matter in the larger scheme of things. We, we, you know, we just, we're just on an island unto ourselves. We are all connected in some way, and everyone has an effect on everyone near them and even beyond their immediate relationship. And, you know, we, again, as you mentioned, we uh, know so many of the same people, we grew up with so many of the same people, so we share a lot of things. But, I, you know, I was going to wait to talk about some of the personal aspects toward the end of our conversation, but this is good, let's go here. You know, we are connected in so many ways, but one thing that we have in common are our parents. And I mean that in the fact that our parents were very well known in the community, they um, are anchors or pillars in one way or another, but since I'm talking to you, you're my guest, I want to talk about your iconic parents. And they were iconic for lots of different reasons, but they were both truly amazing individuals in their own rights. And what were some of the lessons that you learned from maybe both of them or either of them or however you like to speak to that? Well, I think obviously education for my entire family was very, very important. And you talk about the relationships with our families. Um, if you, if you go back a little bit, and just for history's sake, our parents, my father and your mother, their parents, my grandparents and your grandparents, they were the only people on their street. At that time, it wasn't even a street. It was just outside the city limits. And so that, that was a bond that started there. And it has moved forward throughout the generations. But education was very important to the Aparicios. It was very important to the dentists. And they made sure that their children got an education. 
My dad's parents didn't go to college. Your grandparents didn't go to college, but they made sure that their children had every opportunity to get the education that they needed. And for me, that's the base. It all starts with that. What are the values of the people that you come from? And so education starts at my mom and dad were both, it wasn't a matter of, are you going to college? You had one choice and that was, where are you going to college? And they both said, pick a place where you can be successful. Don't pick for us. You know, because they, of course, they would have loved for their, any of their daughters to follow them to their alma mater, which was Wiley College up in Marshall, Texas. But my sisters and I, none of us went to Wiley, but it was where we could be successful. And that's what they wanted from us. They wanted you to do great things in life, but they knew that it was going to be important decisions like that that you had to make beginning at that time. Beginning at 18, you make one of the most important decisions of your life, where you're going to go to college. They also instilled that other important decisions are, th are things that you have to make. We can't choose your college, we can't choose your career, and we can't choose your mate one. Those are important decisions that you will have to make. But if, as your parents, we've done the right things, we've given you the base you need, we've given you all the tools you need, you will make right choices, you will make good decisions, and they will follow you for the rest of your life. So important. And those carry on, and those are lifelong lessons and threads that will continue. Um, you also have sisters. And is there anything that you would like to um, speak on with your sisters in regard to family and, and what you learned from them growing up and even today? A absolutely. My sisters are, your sisters, your, well, you know this, your siblings are your best friends. They are the people that, uh, they can have a little influence on you, good and bad sometimes when we're growing <laughs> up, but they are also the first people to protect you, the first people to defend you. Um, and they're the, the first people to make sure that you are taken care of and that whatever decisions you make, that they help to make, they help you shape that decision. Uh, my sisters were all older. Uh, my two older sisters, uh, Regina and Rosanna, um, I still have them. Uh, as you know, we lost my, my sister Kay, who was truly the one right above me, who was the protector of me. But she influenced me in so many different ways. Kay had natural abilities. She had natural speaking abilities and she was beautiful. She always wanted people to see the beauty in things. And no matter what was going on around her, she wanted you to be happy and she wanted you to smile and she wanted you to know that you were cared for. And I think that's one of the things that sustains me even with her being gone is that I know she's in heaven still sending love and care and support for me. Uh, my two older sisters uh, because of their age, their, one is seven years older than me, one is eight years older than me, they were my teachers. They were the reason that I learned to read at four because they wanted to make sure that I could read. And so that was, uh, they helped with those kinds of things. And then when I was in college, they were already out of college and they were all very encouraging. They came to visit, they sent care packages, uh, all of those things. But they are also the people that encouraged me to get involved. Uh, my two older sisters have, uh, I should say all of my sisters have beautiful artistic ability, mm -hmm. musical abilities, and they developed my love of the arts, of the performing arts. Uh, my sister Regina won numerous prizes in theater in, in high school, and she made me want to join the theater arts class in high school. Regina also influenced me to major in government mm -hmm. in undergraduate and political science. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was uh, her. Those were her majors in college, and she enjoyed them, and she enjoyed the politics and all of that, and that made me want to do that as well. You said it earlier. Everyone matters. Yes. The person that we on the first day of school that was new to Palacios, yes. she was going to go and bring that person in. Hi, I'm Kay. Let me get to know. Her. And that's one of the things that she instilled in me. Make everybody feel like they're a part of this. You want everybody to be included. No one ever wants to be excluded or not part of the group. And she had an ability to do that, to bring people in and give them ownership and responsibility in whatever was being done. And she instilled that in me as well. That is so powerful because everyone wants to be included. No one ever wants to be excluded. And it doesn't matter if you're a young student, just a little, or you're here in Austin. Everyone wants to be included. What a wonderful gift you were given and that you made your own. 
Okay, so I want to take a little bit of a shift because I want to talk about your background, your education, and definitely all your associations and what you do today in your current role. So let's start off with your education. Why UT and how was it that you, you're, you're back here? I know it's temporary, but it seems as though you spent many, many years in Austin. I did. UT was, it was just that I visited a lot of colleges and universities. Um, those final couple of years and you know for years I thought I wanted to do something way different you know move out of Texas and go to some kind of East Coast private you know college um, and then I did my visit to the University of Texas and it truly grabbed my heart I think that people know where they need to be they get a certain feeling you get a certain something happens when you step on that campus and walking up the steps of the Great Walk to the main building, I just felt it. Um, I wasn't like Rocky running up the stairs, but I was walking up the stairs looking at that majestic tower and thinking, this is home, at least for the next few years. And it was just a wonderful institution. I met some of my lifelong best friends there at the University of Texas. The education I received was superior. I had fabulous teachers who truly, uh, even though everyone always says, oh, UT, it's so big, you get lost, but you really don't. Uh, when you get into your major subjects, you really are in a family. And my government friends, my friends that were government majors with me, again, I'm still friends with some of them today. I work with several of them in my current position. Uh, and so UT gave me that great base, that great foundation. And that's when I, when I started working at the Capitol, my sophomore year at the University of Texas. One of my professors suggested that I look into internships, some kind of opportunity at the Capitol, and I did. I started working at the Capitol when I was 19. That was 38 years ago. I'm 57 now, and I'm still going to the state Capitol almost every day. Um, for graduate school, I wanted to do something smaller. UT was a big institution, but I wanted to do something smaller for graduate school. So I looked at the University of St. Thomas in Houston, which is quite small. Uh, my classes averaged about 17 people uh, per class. You knew your professors very, very well. I knew my graduate school dean very, very well. But again, it was a very nurturing and wonderful institution. I had great professors. I had great leadership there. And they furthered my knowledge of political science and the political process and the actual minutia of taking an idea and moving it into actual policy that's enacted, and that's something that's a state law. Um, it's interesting the way you speak. I hear you either finding a community or making a community. You you talked about the lashes, the community, the ownership, the relationships, and then you spoke of that too at, at UT, that yes, it's big, but you found your people. Everywhere you go, you seem to find your people, your community, and you, and you maintain that. I think that's important. We have them in so many different aspects of our lives. Mm -hmm. We have the family that we're born with. Yes. We have the families that we create, yes. whether it was through uh, my sorority, through organizations that I belong to. Those are all different aspects of family, and those are all different types of, of family. Mm -hmm. You know, as I said, my government major family, my University of St. Thomas family, mm -hmm. but also my volunteer organizations. Those folks become part of your family in a different way as well, but true, those all those communities make up your family. Mm, I love that. Uh, you also mentioned about that feeling that you received when you visited UT. I thank you for mentioning that and articulating that because so many times when we talk to students and we encourage them and, and we provide as part of programming and funding and that them opportunities to visit many different universities, that's something that we always say to them, that every university, every college has its own culture, it has its own vibe, as the term is used these days, that feeling that you just feel one way or another, you receive it in a way, and that will help you decide, just as it helped you. It's, it's a true thing. It is an actual feeling. It's an actual sense of perhaps maybe belonging or connecting in some way. True. I think you're... A lot of people tell you, you know, go with your gut, and I hate to say it like that, but it's true. You feel it inside. You know inside you, I've got a different feeling about this, or I have trepidation about this. Right. And if you've got the trepidation, step back. 
don't go folded. But if you've got that fun feeling that, that, you know, your eyes are a little bit brighter and you stand a little bit taller, then that's the place for you because that's a place that's just going to continue to make you shine and make you stand even taller. So go with that. I, I think people are afraid sometimes to trust their gut because it seems just so very base, so very animalistic, but not. It's your gut will lead you where you need to be most of the time. And that gut, so to speak, that is just a connection to all the things of who you are, what it is you want to be, your past and present experiences connecting to what you're hearing and seeing and picking up. So that is what it is to connect or feel your gut. Right? It's just Absolutely. a free, it's just a confluence of everything that we've ever experienced and maybe perhaps even what we hope to experience. Exactly. Exactly. You go on a campus like the University of Texas where when I came in the fall of nineteen eighty three almost 40 years ago, 40 years ago this fall. Time flies, time flies. UT had about 41,000 students. My dorm at the University of Texas housed 3,500 students. At the time, if you will remember, Palacios had a population just at 5,000 people. So my dorm was almost as large as my hometown. Jester had its own zip code. It was its own voting precinct. It had classrooms, a movie theater, a store. It was a small town. And when I first came, when we first came up, my dad, who, yes, pick where you want to go, but he was truly hoping in his heart that I would pick something a little bit smaller or that I would at least stay home the first two years and go to Wharton County Junior College. And when we walked in, he shook his head and he kept telling my mom, it's so big. I'm just afraid she's going to get lost. And the first week that I was there by myself, I called home to let him know that I had been elected to the Jester Student Assembly, (laughs) which was the governing body for the dorm. And my mother says he turned to her and went, oh, she's going to be fine. <laughs> this will be fine. But again, I had to get there and realize 3,500 people, it's like Palacios. I'm running for student council right. again. Just let's another day. Just let's another get day. involved. Let's, let's start out by getting involved. So. Uh, and I love that your dad, that was his experience because I, I can only imagine, as I compare it to my own relationships, and my own experience is that perhaps you're his baby. You were going off, so he had maybe a little bit of that going on too as well, because I know it wasn't about doubting or uh, assuming anything less. It was just, that's, that's my baby going off. The last one, to, last one to leave, and, you know, it was only three hours away. Yes. But it still was a little too big for him. Absolutely. But once he, once he saw that it was truly something that I loved and that I found my niche and I found my group and my family um that's all he did from then on was encourage me uh to do to be successful at the university of texas i had a couple of semesters where the grades weren't quite there and the option to come home and sure. take a step back and go to Wharton sure. were still there but then it was always but if you if you don't want to do that then what are we going to do to make sure that we succeed what are you going to do to get these grades up what are we going to do and it's always encouraging um, wanting to make sure that you had the tools you need. If you need tutors, find find yourself a tutor. We'll help you get a tutor. You will pay for a tutor. Whatever it is, it is you need. We want you to have all the tools you need to succeed. We don't want that to be an excuse that you didn't have this or you didn't have this. Here it is. Here are the provisions made for you to succeed. Now, go and succeed. Supporting and encouragement is everything, right? Absolutely. You must have it. And, and it doesn't stop with our parents, right? It's, it's your friends, it's your colleagues, it's everybody. It's every, and that's, that's one of the things that, that um, you talk about with um, courage and, and having to have courage and, you know, stepping out. Um, sometimes I would say stepping out on faith. Yes. You've got the education. I have the piece of paper yes. that says I'm qualified for this. Yes. But you have to have the courage to step in and say, I'm going to take this opportunity, and I'm going to run with it. I'm going to do something different with this opportunity. Um, I'm in government affairs, and there are not a lot of women in government affairs. There are not a lot of women of color 
in government affairs. And a lot of people don't understand it. They go, oh, you take people out to dinner and you sit around and talk and you do this. But I'm trying to talk to them about a policy or an issue or something like that. And if I don't know the issue or the genesis of that problem or how it might be solved, then sitting down and talking to them or, or even, even over dinner, that's not going to be successful. You have to have the facts and the information and the knowledge to back up what you're doing every it's time. It's credibility. It's credibility. So, yes. You're, you know, and I think in your situation when people talk about, oh, you're just going out to dinner, that's exhausting in itself, much less the preparation and the knowledge of knowing that expertise, that information that you're trying to disseminate or to gather for the purpose of your work, the work that must be done, but to also build those relationships because it doesn't matter how much we know or who we know. If we don't have a relationship that is based on trust, mutual respect, credibility, then what are we doing? That's exactly it. One of the things when I first came to this job, um, courage again, not knowing, I'm not an engineer. I've never worked for a utility. I don't know the intricacies of this business, but I do know the capital. I've worked there, you know, as I said, starting at the age of 19. I had lots of connections at the Capitol. I did know the political process. I did know how a bill becomes a law. I did know that. And I found that that family of people I had at Centerpoint, they would help me with the knowledge. If I couldn't answer a question, I had people that were willing to come with me to provide the expertise and the information and the minutiae that somebody might want to know about a specific issue. I can give you the base and I can give you the, the top information, yes. but I have some people that can come in and they can fill in that bottom and they can do that. And again, that's what you talk about, your family, your, the folks that are encouraging you and yes. working with you. And you have to have the courage to know that you're going to have people, you're, going, you're not going to know everything, right. but you're going to have people that will back you up and that can help you and provide the knowledge and the information that you can. They're there to help. And you didn't quite uh, state it exactly, but what I'm also hearing you say, it takes humility too, to to know and to trust the people around you, either your, your family, your work family, or your teammates, that you acknowledge that you're not the expert on everything, that you do need others to help you support uh, certain ideas or um, uh, goals that you're trying to meet. So it takes that humility as well. I, I tell people, people often say, well, what are some words of wisdom that you can give to someone coming up behind you in this space? Yes. And I say there are three words that I think are most powerful at the Capitol. I don't know. Those words are followed by, however... <laughs> I have an engineer, an attorney, you know, a, a subject matter expert at the company that I would like to bring who can answer these questions for you, who can provide more information, who can clarify any concerns you have. You have to be willing to say that you don't know everything because we don't. And that's okay because we have friends, colleagues, we have resources that can help us find the information and get those answers. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I before we leave the, the topic that was brought up so much, you repeatedly said the word courage. Now, no doubt you're a courageous woman. You've done many, many things. You continue to do many, many things. But you want to sustained your courage. So I know that you, you understand where your resources are, so that probably helps sustain a portion of it. But courage is basically doing something regardless of the fear that you have. Are you fearful in any way? Oh, Jane? yes. Oh, yes. I think we all are. I think, and as women, we are especially fearful. Um, men sometimes walk into a situation that they're not quite apprised of, but they, but they walk in strong. Women, we sometimes, we want to take that first step, but we want to know a little bit about the landscape before we step out there. You know, is it a wooden bridge? Is it a drawbridge? 
Is it a rope bridge? We want to know just a little bit more about it. And sometimes, you know, that's good. And sometimes we just have to step out on faith. And I think courage and faith go together. And when I speak of faith, I'm speaking, you know, spiritually of, yes. of faith, but I'm not, I'm not speaking totally religiously about faith. You just have to have faith in yourself. You have to have, that's what, that faith in yourself, that's going to boost your courage. Um, I also think that my, I, I look at my examples before us, your mother, my mother, examples of courage, uh, women who, um, you know, unfortunately, I'm going to use kind of a metaphor, steel magnolias. Uh, these are women of fortitude, women who did things, and they didn't necessarily know, is is the, the missing planks in the bridge. They stepped out there anyway, and if there was a missing plank, they just had to step over it and keep going. And not only keep going, but they were carrying people with it. It could be their children. But they had a mission. They had. They were working for something greater than themselves. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's what gives you courage. Is you know, in in your work life, in your personal life, in your spiritual life, whatever you're doing, that's what gives you the courage. Is that this isn't necessarily for June. This is for the people that are coming behind you. This is for the nieces and the nephews. This is for the friends' children. This is for my community. You know, how my courage want, makes you want to leave things better than you found it. Courage makes you want to improve it, not necessarily so that you can benefit, but so that someone else can benefit coming behind you. So okay. You also mentioned growing up, how your sisters, I think you said Regina, gave you uh, or maybe passed down the love of the arts to you and and I remember, um, again, when you were in school, I think you were in a few plays. I think I was in the audience a few times. Did those traits, those skills that you learned in those theater classes, or uh, I don't know if you were in debate in those speaking I classes. Was. I'm sure you were. <laughs> Assume. Were those traits, skills that not only you, uh, you gained, you began to to acquire, but you also gained an appreciation for them. It seems as though, obviously through your affiliations, through your support, you're staying connected, but how do you carry those through on your day-to-day -day life or on your professional side of your life? Well, I spend a lot of time talking. I spend a lot of time making presentations to people, and obviously those, uh, those skills that I learned at Palacios High School in speech and drama, those come through. You have to be able to, to present to people. You have to have courage to step up and, and say things and to present yourself and present your company's ideas and everything else. Um, you talked about the, the arts and, and how those helped. Being involved in band, in choir, in speech and drama, all of those things, while those are performance arts, you've got to perform every day at your job. And those things translate back and forth with your professional life. You have to be able to look at different situations and, and kind of assess them very quickly on, on how things are going to go. And when you're doing improv or when you're doing um, extemporaneous speaking or when you're doing, you know, impromptu speaking, that's what that was. It was, here's the subject, go. But you've got to be able to do it. And so I think that those are skills that translate. Those are some soft skills. But they translate into into your work life. Uh, I have to talk about the arts and why I, I love the arts because yes. I think that the arts do something for us mentally that people don't understand. Children who are exposed to the arts and who are participating in the arts, band, drama, anything, that helps their learning. That just moves the brain power and it, it extends what's going on in the classroom. What we were learning in band was going to help you sometimes in mathematics. Yes. Um, if you remember our typing teacher, Viv Witty, yes. Miss Witty loved that the children from band were, we could type. It was your finger dexterity. dexterity. And by the yes. same token, 
Mr. Shanks, the band director, liked that you were in typing because it worked on your finger dexterity. So you had all of these things that kind of crossed purposes. My love of the arts now is the fact that, again, it's a profession. That's something that I could never do now. I couldn't step up on a stage and sing. I couldn't step up on a stage and act. But if you think about it, these are true gifts that people have. You take someone like a Lin-Manuel Miranda. I read the Hamilton biography, and so did he. When I read it, I didn't hear one song lyric. I didn't see one dance move. Yes. He got something very different. I got an appreciation of Alexander Hamilton yes. and the Federalist Papers and those things. Yes. That's what I drew from the book. He drew a Tony Award-winning musical from yes. that same that same piece of literature. Two people could read it, and it gives them two different things. Um, you have to appreciate someone like him because the art that he drew from that, that's not something that I can do. So I appreciate the arts, and I try to support them and I'm a board member of several arts organizations in Houston because of that, because they give so much back to our community and to our cultural heritage and things that we must support the arts. Well, Houston is um, astounding to me in just the level of arts organizations, their whole museum district, all the things, all of the theaters, the theater district. It's just, it. Um, if people don't know, they need to know that about Houston because it's one of the stars, the, the true uh, gifts of living in Texas. We have more theater seats in Houston than they have in, on Broadway. Now, they may have more theaters, but their right. theaters are often very, very small. Yes. And if you think about it, we have so many shows that premiere in Houston, operas, yes. musicals, yes. plays at the alley that make their Houston premiere that then go on to Broadway and beyond. So Houston is, I'm fortunate to live there yes. and to be a part of the Houston arts community in that sense, because we do, we give a lot of art, not just to our community, but to the world. Uh, I love that. And I love when you talked about your own experiences. I think that's important, and, and I want to speak to this because being the director of the Nuclear Power Institute, you know, we always talk about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. But I agree, too, that it's the arts that really... Um, I like to use the word technicolor. It adds that technicolor to everything that we do. And it does either allow or it encourages just seeing things in a different light, just the possibilities. And it could be a sound, it could be a visual. It's, it's just something that colors your vision, so to speak, or you, your creative thought process in a way that uh, I know I lean on when I need inspiration for something that's very technical, perhaps, or something that you would normally not think would have an association to creativity. But everything that we do, even if it's working in policy, no doubt, there takes a level of creativity and how to get something done, how to um, develop a, a bill or a law or a procedure or whatever it is that we're working on. It takes levels of creativity and going back to the arts. And you talking about your voice and speaking, I love that because I think the arts, not only as you mentioned, helped you find your voice as far as speaking, but it develops it. So it's both that giving voice to your courage and just the structure of how to, to present yourself in that way. Well, how to, not just how to write your speech, but you're right, how to deliver the speech, how to talk with your audience, how to have the eye contact with your audience, how, how to, um, Mrs. Walter would be upset with me right now for using my hands too much, yes, because that was a thing. She did not like for you to use your hands. People start looking at your hands, and they're not looking at your voice. But of course, but one of the things that, that, that you touched on was the STEM and the STEAM. The STEAM, bringing the arts into that, because if you think about how many technical jobs are in the arts, yes. sound engineering, technical yes. engineering, how many of these things that utilize some form of engineering, mathematics, science, something, are evident in the arts. Right. When someone's making a movie, what are they making it on? Think about the, you started out in the 1920s with this acetate film, yes. and to where they are now, which you can make a film on your iPhone that's of very good quality. 
But these are all things that came from someone's mind, someone's technology, someone's thoughts. And it's not just the technical engineering mathematic part of it, it's an artistic bent as well. So being here, let's talk about you being in Austin. So let's, why are you here? Why are you here this week? What have you been doing these last few months Well, we've got, <laughs> well, the legislature uh, started on January 10th, yes. and we will go until May 29th. So 100, uh, you know, 140 days every other year uh, here in the Texas legislative session. I've uh, been working on several different bills uh, this session. And we are now down to the last few weeks, and we're in crunch time right now. So we've got a lot of things moving, both center point and in the legislature. Last week, uh, the budget passed out of the House. Um, it's going to, it's been passed out of the Senate committee. It's going to be on the Senate floor soon. Uh, obviously, Texas only meets every two years. So all the work has to be done at this time. Uh, they'll go into a, I'm sure that the budget will go to a conference committee and they'll hammer things out. There's a lot going on with that, but you're all very interested yes, in the budget because that's the centerpiece of everything that we do. And by law, that is the only thing that the legislature has to do this session. They must pass a budget. Um, and Texas is kind of, people say that uh, having a session only every other year keeps us from passing too many frivolous, unneeded laws, and it keeps us kind of on the straight and narrow, and it keeps us as more of a citizen government than a professional government. So uh, I've been doing this now, as I said, I started in 1985, uh, and we're, hitting, we're in 2023, and I'm still here. So. What is it about the political side of your, your life, um, working with lawmakers? What is it, Jane, that has you coming back or having a, a major function of your job, your role? Well, I tell you, it's working with Centerpoint. That has been, I've been with them for 24 years now, and they are a wonderful uh, employer, and it's been a wonderful opportunity to work on policy for them, yes. uh, to look at ideas and issues that they see or that um, some of our field people may see. Uh, they may find an issue that's going on out in the field and they bring it to their supervisor and they hear something that we see as an issue. This is something that might grow, that might be happening, that we need to look at. And then we began to look at it and see, is this something that we need to look at a legislative fix for? And if it is, how do we do that? Where does it go? Is this something that should go in you know, the electric code? Is this something that should go in the utilities code? Where is the fix? Where should this fix be made? And it's that kind of work that, that, I, that I truly enjoy. Uh, it's the, a little policy nerdish, a policy mm -hmm. wonkish, but uh, it's something that I enjoy. Mm -hmm. It's who you are. It's who you are. I think you find community in making things happen. Again, finding that community. So when I was studying that, reviewing some of your accomplishments, you have a lot of things going on right now outside of Center Point. Do you want to talk about the big events? Would love to talk about the big events. So uh, I was asked uh, in 2022 uh, to chair the college football playoff national championship game. Uh, it will be played in Houston on January the 8th of 2024. Um, it's a huge honor uh, to be asked. Uh, so last, uh, in January of this year, uh, January 10th, um, I accepted the helmet from the Los Angeles uh, host committee and their chair and brought it back uh, to Texas and brought it to Houston. And so for the last, for the last year, we've actually been doing meetings and attending the games and uh, we will working with our committees, our community. It's a huge effort. Uh, but we will have the, it will culminate in the game on January 8th. We just finished the Final Four in Houston, which I was privileged to be on that committee and a part of that. And those are always not just big events for Houston, but for our entire Gulf Coast community. Um, and just like with the Final Four, where we had the Fan Fest and we had the concerts and things, the Football National Championship will have the same thing. We'll have a Fan Fest. We will have concerts. And these are things to bring the entire community together, not just Houston, 
everybody along the Gulf Coast. I fully expect lots of our friends from Palachia will be coming up to Houston to attend FanFest and some of those out auxiliary events that we'll have. But it's something that showcases Texas. We all know Texas is football. We are ubiquitous with football. But this is the culmination of college football. It's the national championship. This is the best of the best. And they're going to be playing on January 8th in Houston. The spotlight will be on Houston, Texas. And I am proud and honored to get to be the person to lead this effort for Houston. Okay. So two things, two small things. So what does this mean for Houston? And more importantly, what does it mean for you? Well, for Houston, these are always big boosts to our economy. Yes. Uh, it's not just millions, it's billions that end up coming in. And it's more it's a spotlight on the city. People yes. get to see that Houston is more than oil and it's more than NASA. It, they get to see everything that Houston is. They get to see our arts community. They get to see our infrastructure. They get to see our universities, our Higher education universities are going to be on display fully there. And the food know. scene, too. And the food scene. <laughs> and I was just getting ready to say, that's one of the features that we get to have is we do a whole culinary experience where we get to talk about not just Houston. Houston isn't just barbecue. Right. And Houston is not just Tex-Mex. Houston is Vietnamese. And Houston is Indian and Korean and African. Houston has so many different we are the most diverse city in the United States, and all of those cultures and ethnicities and food varieties will have an opportunity to be on display, and that's what this is about. This is about showcasing all of what Houston is. And for me personally, um, as a football fan, um, this is just a highlight. This is truly um, something that I have uh, watched for years. I've attended national championships over the years, and for me, this is kind of a pinnacle uh, in one of my volunteer crowns. So, well, you have so many, you have so many crowns and so many jewels at each of those crowns, no doubt. And when you when you reflect back on your downtime, which there's very little, I'm sure, I'm not going to ask you for your favorite or your best, but of your accomplishments, June, and some of the projects that you've played a major role in, what are what have been some of the standouts? What are the ones that perhaps you really would like to be remembered for? Or if your mom were to be talking to a new friend that doesn't know her children, what would you think your mother would speak of talking about you and what you've accomplished? I think she'd talk about my love for my family. Um, and I think that that's one of my, that's one of my accomplishments is spending time with my family, traveling with my family. Um, I get to do a lot of wonderful things through work and through my volunteer work. But when it all comes down to it, it's about your family. It's about those people. And I think taking my mother, uh, you talk about accomplishments, and it's not a work accomplishment. I hope that's okay. Yeah, I took my mother many years ago to church with President Jimmy Carter. It was something that she had always wanted to do. He did study school, you know, many years ago. And to me, that's kind of the pinnacle, is we got to go, and here's a man who can pick up the phone and call heads of state. But what he wanted most was to share his Christian experience with others, just in a very small setting. His church was not huge. It was not a mega church, but that's what he wanted to do, and that's what my mother wanted to experience. And to me... Anything else, everything else pales in comparison to how you treat your parents and how you take care of your parents. And to me, that was the one of the ultimate things is getting to take her to do something like that. As you look forward to all the things that are coming, what, what's next, June, as far as beyond the all the activities, these athletic activities and all your commitments in the arts and all of your other commitments? What's next for you beyond that? Just maybe perhaps for you personally, what are some of the other boxes that need to be checked for you? Well, I'm first and foremost a Palacios, Texas girl. Uh, so I recently purchased some property down home in Palacios and hope to start building 
sometime soon. Just a little weekend uh, place to come and uh, relax um, and enjoy. Uh, I love event planning, and so when my time with Centerpoint is done, you know, maybe I'd like to do that. Maybe I'd like to do some event planning or something like that because I truly enjoy it. That's one of the aspects I enjoy of all of these things is putting things together. And so that might be something next. And then also reading and traveling. Um, when you cease to learn, you die. Uh, my great aunt used to say that. And so I want to continue to learn. I want to continue to travel. I want to continue to have new experiences. I tell people, as long as you have a passport, it means that you're going somewhere. But as long as I have lashes, I will always have a home. So true. And we can't wait to have you back home. Thank you. So what else do we need to talk about, too? What has been unsaid that needs to be said? I, I don't know that we've left much off, but um, I want to encourage people to, uh, I encourage people whenever I speak to students, read. I just said it. Get your passport. Um, enjoy life. Eat the food. Buy the shoes. Take the trip. Okay, did y'all hear all of that? That needs to happen. June, thank you so much. I truly appreciate this conversation. You inspire me and you bring such joy to, to not only me, but I can't wait to get home to tell my mama who I spoke with today. She's going to ask about the cake that you make her. You're so generous in making her when you visit. But thank you for that. And thank you for all that you do, all that you've ever done, and all that you continue to do. Thank you so much. I'm honored. You inspire me, and I thank you for having me on your program. And to our guest, thank you so much for listening today. I hope you've had the opportunity to listen to the entire conversation and all of our other conversations on all of our platforms. And again, I want to thank Mrs. June Detrick so very much from the bottom of my heart. But I hope all of you not only heard her words and you heed them, but I hope you felt her passion. I certainly did. And let's live. Let's live our life. Let's continue to read. Let's continue to learn.